I was always referred to as, as the legal mercenary, the Anelka of the legal world, as it were, um, because, you know, I did move quite a bit, but, you know, it suited me well. Uh, it meant I got experience from, you know, your likes of Halliwell's, Hill Dickinson's, but then I also worked in your smaller firms. Uh, Linda Myers is where I did my training contract. So, yeah, it's, I think, again, another good point, you know, move. There's nothing wrong with it because you've got a couple of law firms on your CV. So what? You want experience in other firms. What makes an industry-leading lawyer up for a commercial practice area in the first place? Is there such a thing as the right route to becoming a commercial lawyer? And what advice do they have for aspiring commercial lawyers? My name's Dwayne Cormell, founder of legal recruitment consultancy Realm Recruit and LegalJobCoach.com. And I'm Rebecca Blundell, a specialist recruiter of commercial lawyers. In this series of podcasts, we'll be chatting with prominent commercial lawyers about the wide range of commercial practice areas, their career journeys, their lives away from work, and all things law. This is Refreshing Chats with Commercial Lawyers. This week in episode two, we've got Scott Birchall, director at boutique firm Smooth Commercial Law. Scott heads up the firm's dispute resolution and commercial law departments, and he prides himself on his client-centric approach to providing legal services. We caught up with Scott at the start of February. So, Scott, you won't know this, but the first question we ask all guests is going to be the same. We'd like to know if you could enact one refreshing new law, what would it be? So I was deliberating over this whilst driving in this morning and I was uh, suggested to one of my uh, one of my team that I was going to enact a new law whereby you couldn't send work emails over the weekend. <laughs> <laughs> However, they kindly responded and said, but aren't you the worst at that? So, <laughs> so, so I don't think that would work. I'm going to amend that. I'm going to say no work, work emails after 12 o'clock on a Friday afternoon. That's fair enough. Yeah. But... Actually, isn't the problem with it not so much when you send them, but whether there's an expectation on the other person to respond? There always is. But the problem, if you're like me, because you get so many emails in, it's if you don't deal with it then and there, it's one of those that it gets left and then they mount up quite quickly. So it's always a case of Friday afternoon. You always get those horrible ones on a Friday. You always get the, you know, the bank letters, you know, those letters in brown envelopes that you never want to receive. They always come on a Friday, don't they? And it's the same thing, as, uh, especially for commercial lawyers. You know, everyone waits until Friday to send that, you know, that chaser letter or that, you know, that letter before claim. Get it in the Friday so that, so that you've got to deal with it then and then it ruins your weekend. So I think that's, uh, I think that's probably what I'll go for. Uh, well, there, there we go, because actually I want to ask more about that. How, that is a really, really annoying thing, isn't it? That thing whereby people send the bad emails on the Friday and they just ruin, yeah. people's, and they ruin people's weekends. I mean, how, um, how, do we, how do we fix that problem? How do we stop that from happening? <laughs> there we go. There we go. It's the, 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 the virtual law, let's call it. You know, you can't send the work email after 12 o'clock on Friday. Right, Friday, well, afternoon, fr- Friday afternoon should be for uh, networking. Right, yeah, we got my vote. <laughs> <laughs> I'm all for that. I think that'd be a popular choice, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so I want to know then, Scott. So you you started your legal career working for some of the larger corporate firms in Manchester. Yeah. You were Halliwell's, yes. Panoni, SNG. How did the opportunity come around to set up Smooth Commercial Law? So I've always believed that um, as a any solicitor, you know, paralegal, ILEX, it's not really, it, it is what you know, but it's certainly who you know as well. And it's always good to get as many, to meet contacts, get as many contacts as you can from a very early stage. 
because those contacts, you'll never know what opportunities may present themselves in the future. And it was a contact of mine that I, I've known for, for, for an awfully long time that presented me with this opportunity. Move Law was a personal injury firm. There are reforms coming in in relation to personal injury cases shortly, and they saw this on the horizon and realized that there was the need to expand. And um, I was simply approached with the idea of setting up smooth commercial law, which is a standalone standalone law firm, its own company, but specializing in commercial matters. So um, the opportunity presented itself. And at the time, I was working at Hill Dickinson's and I... Uh, it's always been a aspiration of mine. It's always been a, a long-term goal to have my own law firm. And the opportunity presents itself probably earlier than I expected. But I thought, well, I'll be a fool not to jump at it. So we took the, I took the opportunity and uh, here we are today. Refreshing Chats with Commercial Lawyers is supported by LegalJobCoach.com. With traditional legal career advice at university and law school, often having an overemphasis on city and magic circle firms, LegalJobCoach.com tries to tell the other side of the story. It offers insight into what life is like on the high street and with specialist boutiques and at both regional and national firms. It's coaching on everything from CVs to interviews, advice on where to look for a job and where not to. It's a refreshing approach to legal career coaching. Visit LegalJobCoach.com to register for a free account. Quite often you see boutiques are set up from a kind of principled standpoint, the people that set them up do so as a way to kind of reject a rejection of the way that big law firms are run. Whereas I suppose in your case, it sounds to me anyway, that it's a bit more of a pragmatic thing that, that the owners of the other side of smooth, you know, pragmatic decision on their point. But I suppose definition being a commercial boutique, is probably going to have a different culture to the larger firms. Is that fair to say? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, I've worked in big firms. I've worked in small firms, and the issue I always had with with a big law firm was just that you were just a number. You were just a bum on a seat. You were there to do a job. You weren't there really as an individual who could, you know, who had their own sort of skill set that they could bring. And it was it's very hard to kind of, in my opinion, it was very hard for me to kind of build my own client base and you know, do what I wanted to do as as it were. But the smaller firm, you are given more of an opportunity to do that. You know, you don't have the same red tape. It's it's a lot easier. You know, you, one thing I found when we set up our, when we set up Smooth Commercial Law was decisions are made instantaneous. You know, if we decided on a particular type of work area that we wanted to get involved with, you know, the next day we could be doing it. In a larger firm, you know, you have all the red tape and the, you know, the, the, the layers of bureaucracy that you have that comes with it. So, um, that for me was a big, big selling point for the for the smaller boutique firm. I mean, Smooth Commercial Law wasn't set up on any sort of, you know, there's no sort of philosophical ideology that we, you know, we wanted to be different uh, than the big corporate firm. But I think it's just by its very nature, um, you know, the smaller firm you get to know, in, you, you get to know your team a lot better than you would do in a, in a larger firm. You know, I'm I'm the head of dispute resolution. I'm I'm one of the, the partners in the firm. I'm one of the, the founding partners of the firm. Um, but I, I know my guys very very well, and they aren't just a, a bum on seat or, or a number to me. They you know we are a family, as it were. What do you think your employees would say is the biggest difference then between working in a large city firm to working for you? What would I think they would say? Um, I hope they'd say good things. They'd probably they'd probably call me behind my back, but no. Um, I think 
I think one of the benefits that they have is the flexibility, really. You know, it's, and I think it's their, their ability to actually create something for themselves. You know, I give each of my guys the, the opportunity. You know, you don't have to if you don't want to. You know, there's plenty of work that, that I generate that I can, that I distribute between my team. But, you know, if there was a particular area that they were kind of wanted to build for themselves, something that I encourage. And uh, it's something that I think that, uh, and, and, and each of my team anyway, they, they've, they've certainly taken that on board. You know, we've, uh, one of the girls that works with us, uh, she had a particular interest in tenancy deposit claims. So for instance, so that was a new area that, that I gave that, that she was given uh, autonomy over and that she was able to grow uh, for herself. So I think certainly in a larger uh, corporate firm, there isn't that opportunity. It's very much, you have to do what you, what you are told what to do really. And you kind of, and one of the things for me is that you cater for for the, you know, the, 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 the company's clients, you know, if you're dealing with big, massive corporations, it's those clients need to be catered first. Whilst in a smaller firm, you get to know your clients better. You get to build those client relations better. And you, you've given more of an opportunity to, to grow uh, those particular clients rather than just catering for the, for the, client, the established clients of the firm. In setting up uh, Smooth Commercial Law, I know that you started a family yourself. And your little girls who won last week, I think I saw on Instagram. Yeah. Uh, so congratulations. I just wondered Thank whether, you. from your point of view, whether becoming a dad has changed your outlook in terms of work-life balance. I've got a very supportive wife. You know, she's encouraged me to do everything that I want to do. And it has been difficult, obviously, with COVID and the lockdown. You know, my wife has been amazing and she supported me through it. Beforehand, I, you know, I would work all hours. And now I, I do make a conscious decision to make time for, for, for Poppy and my wife uh, where I can. But strangely, it's given me kind of more of a desire to, to kick on, really, you know, to grow and to um, make sure that make sure that Smooth Commercial Law is, is a success, not just necessarily for myself, but also for my, for my family as well. So, yeah, I think it's important to get that balance. Um, you know, and I think it's, it's important to spend time with the family and, you know, um, have some downtime. Pre- before, I was somewhat guilty of, uh, sacrificing other aspects of my life for, for work. But I think since having Poppy, it's made me realize that it is important. And it's the reason why we do it. You know, it's the reason why um, we work so hard is to be able to provide for our family. Encouraging her to go into law if she shows an uh, interest that way. No, absolutely not. <laughs> stay, stay well clear. Uh, yeah, no, I think um, whatever she wants to do, you know, if she wants to go into law, I'll obviously help her. If she doesn't, then nothing lost. I'll, um, I'll, hang up my boots and uh and that'll be the end of it but uh <laughs> but no it's uh it'll be be interesting to see what she wants to do so my wife is uh, she works in um Altrincham hospital so she's the uh, the caring one uh, whilst i'm the uh the bad guy as it were <laughs> just just on that point of work-life balance whilst we're talking about it you said that you've kind of forced yourself to have more downtime and family time but how do you get around, I suppose, the fact that there are still all those things that you otherwise would have been doing um, had you not got the young family? Do you see my point? Um, I think, yeah, I think um, if I'm to be honest with you, I think actually uh, COVID has helped because that, you know, there haven't been the same sort of other things that were to do because of COVID. So um, it's not as if I, I had the option to, I don't know, go on holiday or, you know, go out to see friends and family and stuff like that you, you know it's kind of a, because of covid I've, I've been we've been limited in, in terms of what else we could have done so um i have the time that i otherwise could have spent going on holiday for instance unfortunately has been spent working i would hope that i would be able to benefit from the hard work in 
later this year, next year, whenever we whenever we come out of lockdown. But we'll just have to have to see. I'm I'm probably not the best person in terms of um, advising on. I mean, I can st- I can sit here and tell you that it's you know it's vitally important to make sure that you make time for yourself and that you you know you make time for your family. Um, uh, unfortunately, with setting up a new firm, um, you know, a lot of my time has been dedicated to to working for, for quite some time now. I obviously with Poppy, um, there is a conscious decision now to 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 certainly make time in the evenings for you know for the family. But I certainly still work in the evenings. Unfortunately, you know, um, we'll have dinner and then, then then unfortunately work still will be done. But I think that's just by its very nature of, of the work that we do. Um, unfortunately, litigation doesn't stop, um, and we are extremely busy at the moment. So the work needs to be done. I'm hearing, I suppose, you say that that's a conscious decision that I make and because I want to do it. You know, I'm I'm trying to develop a small yeah. business and so I'm going to work hard. But then you've added that bit on the end about litigation doesn't stop. So would you say that somebody thinking about going into litigation, they would have to just accept the fact that they may not always get the work-life balance they'll want because sometimes they've just got to take their work home? It's just a necessity um, by definition. I think certainly you can manage a nine to five job. I think that is certainly doable. Unfortunately, the realities of the job are is that there are going to be times when you you know you do have to work late weekends. It's it's unfortunately it's not a nine to five. In my profit, in my opinion, it's not a nine to five profession. There is always work to be done, um, and deadlines need to be met. So. Unfortunately, we don't, you know, it's not, it's not as if we are working in a restaurant, for instance, where we are, you know, we are limited to the hours the restaurant is open. Unfortunately, there is the work there. And if the work needs to be done, then, you know, sacrifices do, do need to be made. I think obviously starting my own law firm has added to that pressure, but that is a decision that I made. And I, I made that no, full, in full knowledge that, you know, it would be hard work, but I'm glad that I did make that hard work. Refreshing Chats with Commercial Lawyers is supported by Realm Recruit. Realm was founded in 2015 to offer something different in response to the scattergun approach of some recruiters. Realm believe in treating lawyers like people, not candidates, and law firms like valued partners, not just transactional customers. Each of Realm's recruitment consultants are ultra-specialists. Their refreshingly niche approach gives them the perfect platform to help lawyers develop their careers and to assist law firms grow sustainably. Whether you're a hiring manager looking for talented legal personnel or a lawyer looking for an exciting new challenge, Realm are ready to help you. Visit realmrecruit.com for more information. Uh, a slightly lighter note then. So obviously we've been in lockdown now for almost 12 months, which is unbelievable, uh, on and off and certain tier systems and whatever else. Have you developed any lockdown guilty pleasures at all that you're willing to share? Have I, have I got any lockdown guilty pleasures? I've got a, I've got a serious addiction to Haribo at the moment. I don't know why. Biggest <laughs> um, <laughs> the only thing getting me through Har- Haribo and wine. Um, I um, I think I've. Uh, I've certainly, I've certainly tested. I've certainly tried every. I think I must have tried every bottle of white wine and Waitrose at the moment. <laughs> we actually started that in the first lockdown. We set up a, a spreadsheet on Excel and started doing wine tasting, which was really <laughs> a lot yeah. of wine drinking and rating all the bottles of wine yeah. in Tesco. 
I think that's a good way to make yeah, you feel better uh, about drinking too much in lockdown, isn't it? You're doing you're doing it for a bigger cause. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. We, we've my friends group. We've uh, we have wine tasting evenings. It makes it sound a bit posh, but basically it's just just all the lads on Zoom having uh, trying different bottles of wine out. So, um, <laughs> but yeah, it's it's hard. I mean, it's it's been hard for everybody. Um, but yeah, I think uh, Haribo and wine. That's my guilty pleasure at the moment. Uh, Scott, I'd like to know about a piece of work that you're particularly proud of, for whatever reason. Anything spring to mind? Um, piece of work that I'm particularly proud of. Um, we do a lot of financial mis-selling work. So um, since probably about four years ago, we've been dealing with uh, claims involving missile pensions, missile investments. So um, there have been a number of instances that you know, your, let's just say you take your um, civil servant, uh, dinner lady, uh, janitor, who may have had a small pension um, that worked you know, tirelessly for a number of years to um, to build up a, a nest egg for when they can retire. They hit that age when they retire and then they realize that their pension has basically been invested into um, rubbish, um, you know, plantations in Bolivia or carbon credits or storage units that they can't even use. So they've basically lost their pension um, and they don't know what to do. They'll be 60, um, looking to retire and they're worried now that they can't retire. Uh, what can they leave for their grandkids? You know, it's, it's a terrible time for them. So we've been dealing with not a lot of claims against advisors, uh, financial advisors who've gone into this mess in the first place. So I have to say the, we do get a lot of satisfaction helping those clients, especially when you have those clients afterwards and um, tell you that, you know, that, they can now actually stop working you know they can afford to help the grandkids out help the kids put a deposit on a house or something like that and that's be very rewarding we always ask the the same last question on these on these podcasts but i, I think i actually already know the answer to yours so the the last question is what's your favorite refreshment <laughs> after it's not it's certainly not Haribo it's not Haribo wine actually it's uh at the moment it's coffee oh, right. especially okay. with a, uh, a one-year-old uh no 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 even one-year-old I think coffee's my favorite refresher at the moment <laughs> um, that's the only thing that's getting me for it really so um yeah I'm gonna say coffee coffee lots of it are you a particular uh sort of coffee connoisseur or will you take anything <laughs> as long as it's caffeinated anything anything <laughs> anything as long as it's caffeinated and if my wife drinks decaf i just don't see the point uh anything that's got uh, caffeine in it's fine by me good stuff well look, thanks a lot for your time scott i appreciate you uh, chatting to us no it's absolutely fine glad uh glad i could help Right, can we just start off with wine and Haribo? Because I said it, I said it last time round. I think I've got this warped expectation of what commercial lawyers are actually like in real life. And now we've had coffee and wine and Haribo. <laughs> it's not just wine, but wine and Haribo. Wine and Haribo. I mean, this is what lockdown does to you, <laughs> clearly. <laughs> I'm, not a, I'm not a sweets person, so I just don't get it. But um, yeah, maybe that's just me. I like Haribo. And I like wine, but I feel it's a combination, a bit strange, um, but each to their own, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and speaking each to their own, Scott really made this point that 
it's definitely not a bad thing to try out different firms, to try out different areas of law as you're on your career path with a view to ultimately kind of finding what works for you. Um, mm. What did you make of that point? I think that's that's a tricky one. Um, I'm completely on board with what Scott was saying, but I think in some situations when firms look at CVs and they see that people have moved about a bit, that creates a bit of uncertainty in their minds as to whether this is a candidate that is potentially going to stay with them long term. And so I think if you are going to get experience at different firms, which has obviously paid dividends for Scott and is is a beneficial thing to do to find out what it is that that you want to do ultimately, I think you need to have a very clear explanation as to why you've moved from firm to firm. Because as I say, some, some firms are really cautious about people that have moved around in that way yeah I think that's a good point actually but I suppose what 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 I would what I would keep in mind is that Scott's definitely made it work nonetheless because he was very forthright about the fact that he's moved around a reasonable number of times and it's got him to where he wants to be today Um, and whilst I think people have to keep that in mind that reluctance of some firms to recruit people who don't have a super steady CV I suppose I would counter against people going too far the other way where they think every role has to be four, five, six, seven years and that you're not allowed to have moves. You're not allowed to have blips because ultimately we're all human, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think, I think it has moved that way when you go back, I don't know, maybe 30 years, people would do their training contracts with a firm and stay there till they made partner and, probably actually couldn't work anywhere else because that's all that's all they'd known whereas nowadays it is more common for people to move around um, and like I say I think as, as long as you've got a good reason for the moves and it's not that you keep falling out with your boss or you know <laughs> other <or> <laughs> less <not>. good reason <laughs> do you know what I mean if, if you've got a good reason for moving and you can explain that at an interview then yeah i I'd say get as much experience as you can. And I think his point about what life's like at a boutique law firm versus a larger one was a good point to make as well, because I'm not necessarily mm. sure that people just starting out on their legal journey would really understand those differences, particularly the ones Scott pointed out being that when you're at a smaller boutique firm, you've maybe got that bit more autonomy to, to focus in on a, narrower area of work um you've potentially got that bit more freedom to be more client facing that you might than you might otherwise be at a larger practice and i think i think that's good yeah. for people to know isn't it yeah definitely and and like he said if somebody had an idea about a type of work that they felt they wanted to get into or was going to be the next big thing they could start doing that work tomorrow whereas in a bigger firm you've got so many layers of management and a board it could take months to get an idea through and all the obstacles along the way. So, so yeah, I think for people who have got that drive and they've got ideas of their own that they want to push forward, it's probably a better type of firm for that kind of person. And what about his view on work-life balance? Because <laughs> having done refreshing chats with family lawyers and heard an awful lot about flexibility, Scott seemed to go, I think, the other way with this one, mm. just just a little bit. I mean, he said, I just don't see this as being a nine to five job. Yeah, 
I think even even though he said since he's had his little girl, he's he's tried to, you know, be more careful with with his time and things. He still then said that he'd, he'd work in the evenings after dinner and and things like that. And I don't think that's necessarily true of all commercial litigators. I think that goes hand in hand with the fact that he has set up this new business, which is still you know in the first few years of its life, and there's a lot of stuff that he he'll do outside of just running the cases that he's dealing with and obviously he's got a team to manage on top of that as well so maybe things will calm down a bit for Scott in the next few years <laughs> but um but yeah it, it didn't really sound like he's he's changed much since starting a family so it's just just one of those things but they, they sound very supportive of him obviously. You were a practicing commercial litigator yourself and mm. I suppose I'm wondering as much as you make the point, is Scott's answer more maybe due to the fact that he's a business owner and he's mm. managing a team? I'm interested to know whether you think that there is maybe still something in it being because he practices a commercial-facing area of law. And the reason I'm saying that is Steve last week, he seems to be a busy guy. Um, and he openly kind of said, Look, coffee's my go-to drink, basically because I need it to function in a roundabout way. Are we are we starting to see maybe the beginning of a pattern, or do you think I'm maybe just looking at this a bit too closely? I'm not sure. I mean, my experience was that generally speaking, I would work normal, normal working hours, sort of nine-ish till half five-ish, something like that. There'd be the, the occasion where there was a big piece of work or there was a deadline and it was all hands on deck and, and I'd be in the office a bit later. And at that time as well, we weren't set up to work from home. So, it, you know, you'd, you'd stay an hour or so later in the office, but it, it, it was nothing, nothing crazy. You know, you hear some some lawyers who were in the office till midnight, things like that. I, that was never me. Um, so I, I just think it, it depends, you know, what the structure of your particular team is and and the type of work that you're doing. I'm, I'm just interested, I suppose, because I'm conscious there will be people listening in that are maybe early on in their legal career and thinking about what practice area they might go into. And, you know, work-life balance might be a, you know, might be a big priority of theirs. And I guess it's just better to go into whichever area of law you go into, eyes open as to what it's going to be like. Yeah, yeah, no, I I agree. A lot of it as well will have to do with the types of clients that you're working with. I mean, if if you've got an international client base and there's time differences to work with, then you're going to have to expect to be working into the evening, I would have thought. But that, you know, I I wasn't working with international clients, so everyone was kind of working around the same working pattern as I was. Yeah. And I guess, admittedly, it wasn't like every family lawyer that we spoke to in Refreshing Chaps with Family Lawyers painted this picture of really, really kind of low maintenance workload. You know, it definitely <laughs> wasn't that. I suppose I'm just conscious that already it feels like there is a bit of separation between those practice areas. So it'd be interesting to, to see whether that plays out the more people we speak to. Yeah, definitely. Well, thanks for listening. As ever, if you like what you heard today, give us a like or write us a review. Subscribe in all your usual podcast apps. And if you're particularly liking what you're hearing so far, give Refreshing Chats with Family Lawyers a quick check. We recorded 10 episodes of that last year. Hopefully, join you again next week. 